Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. You know, hopefully by now we are starting to get towards freedom. I am really looking forward to getting out of ISO life. If we can do it, it's ideal. You know, I, I tell you, one of the things that I've realized is my language has had to change since we went into this whole ISO experience. And if you think back to March, boy, it's really been a while now. And I had to change all the way back then. I, I realized when I was speaking to people, oftentimes I'd say things like, what are you doing tonight? And, and that question just, you know, it's kind of obsolete now because I, I know what you're probably doing tonight. You're like, well, I'm watching Netflix or we're watching a movie or, you know, something maybe on Disney+. Plus. Um, hopefully the footy's been on or something like you, you, that's That's what's happening, you know. So, so I know I had to change some of my language around some of that stuff. I, I'm looking forward to freedom. Uh, I feel like when we have the choice to go out and the choice to do everything that we want to do, it, it choice feels like freedom to me, okay? I would love to have the choice to not be in bed by our 9 p.m. curfew, you know? So I, I love having the freedom of choice and, and how to make decisions when I, when I want to and, and how I want to. I, my, my hair is getting longer. This is the longest my hair hair has probably been since high school. I, that might look short to you. It feels kind of long to me. But anyway, you know, hopefully, like I say, we're getting towards some freedom right now. And uh, I, I like, like I say, I like to have choices. I said to my kids the other day, I asked them a question. I said, hey, would you rather be an adult or would you rather be a kid? And they said, oh, we'd rather be kids. I said, really? So what do you want to be a kid for? They said, well, you know, when we're kids, we don't, we don't have to pay bills. We don't have to buy a house or, or rent a house. There's a lot of stuff we don't need to think about. I said, ah, that's true. I said, but I'm older. I'm an adult, so I can stay up later than you. I can, uh, uh, you know, get in a car and drive somewhere if I want to go somewhere. I have a little more freedom to, to have a little more choice, you know. And so, hey, I, I, I want to speak to you guys about freedom. I want to speak to you about choices. I'm going to preach a message to you today called It's My choice look at the person that you're sitting next to if you've got someone next to you and say it's my choice or type it in the comments or something i want to preach your message to you say called it's my choice you know some choices that you make will broaden your future and some choices that you make will narrow your future some choices will broaden your future some choices will narrow your future it's probably about 12 months ago I was with my kids and we decided that we were going to do a little hike up this uh, mountain. It's called Mount Sugarloaf, pretty small sort of a mountain, great one to take the kids to. And, and so anyway, we, we drove up there and we started on this hike. And as we were going, like they had not been through and cut back the path. They hadn't cut back the trail. And so they had these little markers along the way to let us know if we were going the right way. And I guess I was leading this trip, so I'm walking through and I'm trying to see where the markers were. I couldn't see them very clearly. And so we just started going down this path and it got narrower and narrower and narrower. And, and, and it started to get kind of hairy. In fact, we, we went past the snake like an like a actual snake. I know that people think that in Australia we have snakes everywhere. No, we don't. It's like one of the first times I've seen it. Okay, so there was a snake there and I looked around and we eventually we got to this place where we were just stuck. We couldn't go any further. 
And I said, guys, I feel like we've gone the wrong way. You know, the worst thing about going the wrong way is that I had taken all the kids with me. They had all followed after me. It's kind of like dominoes, you know, like I, I made the wrong decision and it starts affecting everyone else. And I don't know if you guys would be aware of this, but I think lots of you would know that, that when you make choices, it can affect not just your life, but the lives of all the other people that are around you. And this happens to people easily. We face with choices that we make every day. And I want to read part of a letter to you that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Colossae. The letter is called Colossians. Great reason. And so he writes this letter to them because he's concerned that they are making some choices that's going to very... Uh, uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to narrow their future. It's going to make it more difficult for them to move forwards. I think his primary concern is that there are false teachers that have gone into this church and they're going to start to lead people down that path and he doesn't want to do it. So, so I'm going to read to you out of Colossians chapter 3 uh, in verse 1. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ. So I feel like this is a very specific audience that he's talking to. He's talking to Christian people. He says, hey, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Now He gives us a couple of lists. Two lists that you might want to pay attention to. Say two lists. Say it to the person next to you. Two lists. He says, put to death. Boy, he's not mincing his words here. He's pretty serious. Put to death. In other words, you've got to kill this. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now, because there's something's happened, you've changed, you're meant to be different. But now you must put them all away. Here's the second list. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have Put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. He says here, he's talking about the community. There is not Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. I, I love this passage because it talks about this tension that this community finds itself in. It's a tension that I have been familiar with in some ways in my, in my own life. This tension between the old self and the new self. The, the old you and then you became a Christian and then there's meant to be something called the new you. And it's the tension between living as a Christian, even though you have a past where you were not a Christian. And there is a tension there sometimes, a pull towards one direction. Let me explain to you something that's really important. And I'm sure that everybody would already know all about this. 
When you decide to follow Jesus, He doesn't delete your memories. He doesn't delete your memory of the past. A lot of the wrong things that you may have done or maybe the things you have felt guilt for in the past, maybe the things that you felt shame for in the past, when you became a Christian, He didn't delete all that other stuff. You still remember a lot of the old self. You still remember a lot of the old things that you used to do. But... When you became a Christian, if you're watching this and you are a Christian, if you've made a decision to follow Jesus, there are a few things that are supposed to happen to you. And the thing that is supposed to happen to you, which is most evident, is that the old you, the old self, the way that you used to behave, the things that you used to do, that old self is supposed to die. It's supposed to be dead. It's not supposed to talk to you anymore because it's meant to be buried. In fact, one of the things that's really important as a Christian person, to, when, when you become a Christian, is to get baptized. Now, we have been able to do baptisms all year because, you know, 2020 has been a bit of a crazy year. But let me tell you something. When we get back to church, if you are part of this church and you have never been baptized before, you got to sign up to get baptized. I don't care how we do it. I don't care if we have to hire grandstand seating in the car park and put the tub outside and do it out there. I don't care how we're going to do it. But you need to sign up and get baptized and we'll let you know when that's going to happen because baptism is something that Christian people are supposed to do. And here's what baptism is. It's an outward expression of what has inwardly already taken place in your heart. And it's a very symbolic thing that we do. So when people hop into the water, it's meant to be symbolic of Jesus's death, his burial and his resurrection. So people sit up in the tank or the tub or the ocean or the river or whatever it is, right? You sit up in it. And then when we put people under the water, it's symbolic of their death, right? And then when we raise them up out of the water, it's symbolic of their resurrection. It's symbolic, but what it really meant is meant to connect with is that their old self is dead and buried and they have come alive in Christ. In other words, when a person becomes a Christian, the old you is dead and buried, but your spirit comes alive. It's like for the first time you've, you've, you breathe fresh air and, and for the first time you, you, you're doing life in a new way. And, and in this way, we are identifying with what Jesus Christ did on the cross after he was buried and he was resurrected. So this whole thing is meant to mean that there's an old you that has died. That's, that's part of the whole thing. And it means that your desire to choose wrong or to desire your want to choose wrong, that that thing is supposed to be dead and buried, that it's supposed to be gone that there is a new you. In fact, the Apostle Paul, he puts it this way. He says, you are a new creation in Christ. Behold, the old is gone and the new has come. The old you is gone, the new you has come. This is what Paul says. You're a new creation in Christ. Your spirit comes alive. And one of the things that I've learned about being a human 
And as I've watched other human people try to take this spiritual journey, is that old habits die hard. And what I mean by that is, is that if you have engaged in some kind of behavior or activity in your old life, sometimes, and not all the time, but sometimes you have ingrained a pattern of belief or or action or behavior. And in some way, it is harder to give up the things that you are so comfortable or you used to be comfortable doing. It's ingrained in you. And so you feel this tension. There is this desire in you to do what's right. And yet at the same time, you find it really difficult. In other words, you're a Christian. You're following Jesus. You want to make all the best choices that you can. As you're growing and becoming more spiritually mature, you understand what God is asking of you. And despite that you know all of that up here in your knowledge, sometimes the truth is you feel a, a pull in your heart towards doing the things that you know you're not supposed to do. Now, if you've ever felt like this, I want to tell you that you are not alone. In fact, even the Apostle Paul write some scriptures to help us understand that he had to navigate his own experiences. Now, maybe not the things that I mentioned today, but he went through this as well. Look at what he says in Romans 7 verse 15. He says, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. I don't want to do that. But I find myself doing it and I don't want to and want to quit this or I want to give this up. But I feel this tension towards and, and I'm being pulled in a direction, a direction that I don't really want to go in. But, but I can feel it somewhere in there. The Apostle Paul, he wrote this letter to this community and he was very specific in what he said to help get them to make the right choices, to get them back onto the right path. There are two really good reasons why the Apostle Paul writes this part of the letter. And before I even get into this, I want you to understand a universal truth that that you have experienced. You've been the recipient of this. You've been on the receiving end of this principle or this idea, which is that your choices can trap you and touch others. Your choices can trap you and they touch others. There is a lot of what God says in the scriptures, in the Bible. There are things that He says that are for our benefit. You have got to stop thinking, especially if you're new to church or maybe you're not a Christian and you're watching this. You've got to stop thinking that all of the things that God is putting in place is to punish people. He's not the fun police. He's not trying to prevent people from having the best experiences or prevent people from having fun. That's not what God is meant to be doing. And, and you know, the church, like the church is not meant to be the moral police. Like that's what we're all about, just morality. No, no, we're about you connecting with God. And as you connect with God, you start to experience some changes in your life. It's a work that the Spirit does deep inside of you. So we're not about the, we're not the moral police and we're not the fun police and neither is God. Maybe I'll explain it to you like, like this. In ancient times, Israel as a nation, they had all these different laws and rules that they had to follow. 
And some of their laws fit in this category of hygiene laws. And they weren't allowed to eat certain foods. They couldn't, you know, um, you know, there were certain things that they had to stay away from. So, for example, one of the things that they couldn't eat was pigs. They're not allowed to eat pigs. And, and like, I mean, gosh, I know that sometimes the Old Testament is harsh, but pigs are made out of bacon. And like, who, why would God prevent them from eating bacon? And, and, and like ham, there's no, you know, grilled cheese and ham sandwich there's, there's there's no ham there's no bacon i mean come on like what kind of god would do this well a god that loves the people because the truth is is that the way that they would store meat and the way that they would consume it would be in such a way that it could make them sick of course they didn't understand um you know all the germs and everything back then so god just said hey you're not going to eat these animals and so these Hygiene, these animals that they weren't allowed to touch or eat was actually designed to keep them healthy and to keep them safe. And God put rules in the Old Testament to keep their bodies safe. And I tell you that God does this all the way through the Bible in the Old Testament and New Testament. He puts things in place to keep our souls safe. It's exactly the same thing with your soul. He wants you to engage in certain things and stay away from others that would begin to erode your soul and and lead you down a path that gets narrower and narrower until eventually you could become stuck. And so Paul writes this letter with two lists of things that are like vices in your life. These things could really hold you back. These things could really damage you and really damage your future. They would trap you. And the first list that he writes is what's going on inside of your heart. If you look at the list, the first one in verse 5, he lists five things. The first one says sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. So that, that word sexual immorality in the Greek is a word Pornia. And if it sounds familiar, it should because it's where we get the word pornography. And so Paul is really clear and he says, hey, this thing is going to hurt you. He doesn't mince his words. He says, if you've got desires and passions that are sexually immoral and and there are things in your life that would lead you down the wrong path, if you're watching things with your eyes and entertaining things in your heart, he says, you have got to kill this thing. You have got to get rid of it. Get it out of your life. Eradicate those things out of your life the best way that you can. Now, now if you're not a Christian and you're still watching this message, right, there's part of you that says, aha, I knew it. See, you are the moral police. Yeah, you Christians, you've always got a problem with sex. Oh, no. Christians don't have a problem with sex. Christians don't have a problem with it at all. That's why a lot of churches get married young because they, they, they understand that what God says, uh, you know, when it comes to sex is that He just puts some boundaries in place. No, the church doesn't have a problem with sex at all. But even if you're not a Christian, you need to pay attention to this because this thing, what I'm talking about today, it doesn't distinguish between the Christian and the non-Christian. This This thing could ruin your life if you find yourself caught up in the kind of things that I'm talking about today. It has the ability to destroy you on the inside. And I know what people say because I've had some of these conversations before and they say, well, you know what? It's my choice. 
It's my choice. I can do whatever I want. No argument here. Oh, I totally agree with you. It's all your choice, right? You can do whatever you want. But before you choose to go down very specific paths, I would just like to take the opportunity to show you how the path you choose could narrow your future and destroy it. If you're going down this path, you might as well know what's at the end of the path. So just, just to give you a little fact to kick this whole thing off here. The world in which we live right now, and, and this is from the most recent research that we have, is that teens and young adults, so I'm talking about specifically the age group of 13 through to age 24, that they think that when it comes to recycling, that is so much worse to not recycle than to view pornography. I mean, gosh, we, we got to care about the environment. I mean, not recycling, that's terrible. But viewing pornography, that's not so bad. Come on, that's not a really big deal, is it? The problem is that these young people, they're growing up. They're contributing to culture and society. And they might be completely unaware of the harmful effects of what's going on inside of their hearts. It doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian. There are some things you probably need to know. Because if you're not a Christian, let's say, for example, that you're single, you're not married, right? And maybe one day you want to get married, but, but this is where you are right now. This is what it will lead you to in the future. Diminish trust between intimate couples. So they have found statistically from the research that's been done that people that regularly view pornography and watch that, that they immediately are more likely to distrust each other. It's worse than that. There is the belief that promiscuity is the natural state of relationships. So, hey, they just accept that, hey, people are going to cheat and, you know, multiple partners, it's just the way that the world is. And, hey, you just got to accept this view. I want to tell you that's not the way that the whole world is. It also leads to a lack of attraction to family and child raising. It creates dysfunctional sexual relationships where what happens is, is that some partners start expecting things from their spouses that they're not supposed to expect. And their spouses, when they, they don't meet what they have seen or maybe what they've viewed, it starts to create a dysfunctional in terms of the expectations you're supposed to have. Watching pornography, this is true. It normalizes violence in terms of intimate relationships. It promotes rape in so many ways and destroys the ability to be intimate. Like physically, it erodes people's ability to be intimate. This is, this is serious stuff. And these stats are taken not from some Christian website somewhere. This stuff is out from uh, secular organizations that say this is the harmful effects that pornography can have on people. But let's say, for example, that you eventually do get married, okay? This is what could await you should you choose this path. 68% of divorce cases involve one party meeting a new lover over the internet, primarily because they're dissatisfied in one relationship. And hey, promiscuity is how the world works. They, they just look for someone else rather than working it through. How about this? 56% of divorces involved one party having an obsessive interest in pornographic websites. This is not Christian statistics. This is just the world that we're living in. 
It's not distinguishing between your belief system. 58% of divorces were because one partner had an obsessive interest in pornography. Now, let me tell you something. What I'm talking about today, this is a word in season. And it's a word in season because since we went into ISO life, the consumption of pornography has gone through the roof. People are watching pornography right now more than ever, maybe because they're bored, they've got nothing to do, they're trapped, they're home alone, I don't know, but it's going through the roof. And this is going to have a devastating effect on their relationships post this. So we're going to get through this. Come on, everybody. We're going to get through this season. But on the other side, what if there is a lot of dysfunction to await you because of how you treated this experience? I can tell you right now, that this unhealthy interest and, and getting caught up in this stuff, it just hurts a lot of people. And I don't really have the time to explain today or go into detail about how viewing pornography continues to uh, th this cycle of sex trafficking around the world that hurts people in ways that I can't even describe today as I'm speaking to you. But I'm telling you, this stuff is not good for your health. It's, it's not good for you at all. Here are the facts. If you get caught up and you start to walk down these paths, right? This kind of stuff changes your brain. It damages your relationships. And you should know that this is incredibly important when it comes to your future. So what is Paul talking about? Because they didn't have TVs back then, did they? No, no, no. It's not just about viewing pornography. I'm talking about the kind of things that you entertained in your mind, the kind of things that you see with your eyes, and what eventually goes down into your heart and begins to affect you. Because whether you realize it or not, it'll start to direct your life. And the last thing that you want is this kind of thing directing your life. Now, the good news for you today is, let's say that this is a reality for you. Right now, nobody knows about it. And the statistics would say that men and women struggle with this. So come on, let's, let's just say that if you're struggling with this area in your life, the good news is that Jesus has paid the penalty for every sin, including all of this stuff. So what Jesus wants to do is bring you freedom. He wants to forgive you of all of your sins and stop walking in guilt and shame and just turn to God and go to Him because He can set you free. So that's good news, right? Hey, come on. Jesus can forgive you for all of your sins. But I would advise you that here is something Jesus also said. He said, if your eye causes you to sin, you should tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes and be thrown into hell. In other words, he's saying, come on, you got to kill this thing. You've got to get rid of Every single vice that could destroy your life, you need to deal with this. Now, I get it. I get it. It's your choice. You can do whatever you want to do. But if you keep making room in your life for your old self, to begin to move in your new life. I'm telling you, it's going to trap you. And I promise you, it's going to start to narrow your future. Here's the second list that Paul gives us. 
The second list is what's going on outside of you. It's what's coming out of your mouth. The first list is what's going on in your heart. The second list, what's coming out of your mouth. Listen to what he says in verse 8. He says, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. This is the stuff that's bubbling up inside of you and spilling out and spilling over. Well, let me tell you, Everyone knows what it feels like to be angry. Everyone. I remember having a conversation with a, a friend of mine when I became a Christian, and he said, oh, you're not allowed to get angry anymore, right? I don't think the Bible says that. The Bible doesn't say that at all. In fact, it says, be angry and don't sin. The issue is, number one, are you getting angry about the right things? Come on. It's okay to be angry. Gosh, if you're a Victorian man, you know what it feels like to be angry right now, don't you? frustrated with the season of life that we happen to find ourselves in. Here's the thing. How are you dealing with what's bubbling up inside of you? How are you dealing with the frustrations that are, that are happening? Are you really sure that you're upset about the right things? It's okay to be angry and upset about the right things, not so much when you're upset about the wrong things. This, these words that Paul uses, they help to clarify the issue. Because Paul's not talking about having some kind of righteous anger. That, that's not what it means. So if you're righteously angry, okay, fine. But, but in verse 8, he uses this word wrath. The word wrath means retribution. Retribution means like, I'm going to get even. I'm going to fight my battles and get back at someone and, and, and get even with them. I, I'm going to hurt some people. And hey, when you start to try to get even and, and, and you want to get back at other people, I'm just telling you, it doesn't often go well for you. And, and people do this in different ways. I think that, you know, oftentimes men, they sometimes get physically angry and they can physically respond. And, and, and sometimes for women, it's not so much physical, but it can be emotional. They might say things about another person to get back at them. Maybe it's gossip and those categories aren't mutually exclusive. Hey, you can operate either out of either one, no matter what your gender is. But I'm telling you that God absolutely hates this kind of thing in a community especially a Christian community. Because he says, hey, come on, you, you, you guys are supposed to know better. That, that's, that's what your old self used to do. Stop making room for this. You know, th th this culture that Paul was writing to, people were getting upset, they were fighting, they were bickering, they, they were outraged. And they were outraged in person. This is written back to, to in, in the time when you had to, you could rage, but you would normally rage because of the content that you got from another person. Well, hey, I mean, in the world that we live in, we've got a whole new way to do this. You can rage from your own comfortable couch at home. You can get frustrated and type something and send something and send messages. And it's just, you know, some of the stuff that's going on right now in the world that we live in, it's just not helpful. We live in a culture that's over-offended, this cancel culture that's dividing the world. And in some times and in some ways, as I see it, it's even dividing the church. And the Apostle Paul says, you got to just put all this stuff away. You've got to get rid of this. This is like a vice. This is, this is going to hurt you. This is going to harm you. This is not going to be good for you. You've got to put on the new self. 
Not the old you. Not the, this is the way that the old you would, might, have, might have dealt with stuff. Not necessarily, but this is the way you might have dealt with it. But when you put on the new self, this is not the way that you're supposed to respond. And if you read what commentators say, he says, even though that he's talking to individuals, he's really writing this with the community in mind. In other words, he's saying, hey, you've got to create a better community than this. That's why he says in, in verse 11, come on, there's no, there's no Greek. It's not about Greek or Jews. And it's not about, um, you know, Scythian, a slave. You know, he says, hey, we're all the same. We're all equal in Christ. You got to see it like this. You know, I think it's incredibly difficult for anyone's life to flourish in an incredibly toxic and negative environment. But Paul is saying, we can make it better. We can make better choices. You have, you have a choice for how you want to respond to some of the challenges that you're going through. And this is what you need to know. Your personal choices are affecting other people's lives. Here's why that's important. If you want to live in a positive environment, if you want to create a positive world for your family, because you're living here, come on, we're all living on the same earth. 30 years from now, 40 years from now, if you want to create the right type of environment for your kids to live in and work in and do life in, you've got to cultivate it. And we start to cultivate it right now with making the best choices, with making good choices, right choices. I love what the message version says of Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1. It's written this way. It says, so if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. If you're serious about this life, if you're honestly a Christian, you've really given your life to Jesus, if you're serious about this resurrection life with Christ, you've got to act like it. And then he goes on and he says this in chapter 3 and verse 12. He says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another and... If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Come on, get the word of God in your heart. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms. Come on, let's do some good worship and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts towards or thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Here's Paul's big solution to, to how we could start to move in the right direction. Fix your focus. Fix your focus. Come on. What, what, what does he say here? Seek what's above where Christ is seated. What are, you, what are you watching? What are you looking at right now? What are you fixated in? He says, seek what's above where Christ is seated. Set your mind on what's above, not what's below. See, your choices can trap you, but they can also free you. 
and they always touch other people. You got choices. You can take any path that you want. You can choose the path that you want, but there are some choices that you take that are going to narrow your future. And there are other choices you can take to start to make your future broader. What are you going to set your heart on? What are you going to put your focus on? What are you going to give your energy to? What are you going to give your time to? Here's the idea. It's, it's really hard to be completely consumed with lust while you're wrapped up in worship to God. If you want a strategy, there is one for you right there. It's more than that. He's saying it's hard to gossip when you keep making yourself accountable to God for all the words that come out of your mouth. Newsflash, the Scriptures say you'll be held accountable for every careless word that you speak anyway, so you might as well get to God early and start to make yourself accountable now in the season that you're in. I mean, if you're going to do life with other people in a community with other people, if you're going to worship in the same context and setting as other people, you've got to do your life in a way that's going to contribute to building trust in that community and, and, and having some forgiveness and having some grace and working through these issues and keeping your eyes focused on God. You know, if you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, Jesus, you suddenly start to realize, I don't have a lot that I can say towards other people. I, I don't think I can really point the finger at other people because there's stuff that's going on in my own life. There's things that are going on inside of my own heart. You got to fix your focus and change your heart. And I think if you fix your focus and change your heart, it starts to change your behavior. And here's the point. The more that you choose above the less you want below. The more you choose to look above the desire for what is below, it starts to dissipate. It starts to change. You start to get back control of some areas in your life that maybe for you have been starting to get out of control. Paul gives us a third list. Everyone say third list. Look at the person next to you if you're with someone right now and say, there's a third list. If you're watching this by yourself, just say it to God. Come on, God, you gave us the third list. There's a third list. You have another choice. You have more options. You don't need to resign yourself to act out of the old you. There's a, there's a new you. There's a new creation. Here's the list. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience. And when those things start to come out of you, that's like holding up a mirror to your life. You know, that's when you start to know that you're operating out of the new self. You're operating out of the new you. That's how you know that you're not making room in your new life for your old self. He says, start to focus on these things. Let them begin to be cultivated in your life. And I, I know that some of you, 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 maybe you do feel the pull towards some of that old things in your past. It's meant to be dead and buried. Sometimes we don't always know why there is a desire in our hearts to maybe go towards things that were in our past, right? But here's, here's Paul and, and, and he says, come on, there is a new self, there's a new you. See, here's what I know. If you're struggling with the pull towards a wrong direction in your life, I can tell you for sure that you're not operating out of the new you. That you're not 
living as that new creation, as Paul says it. You're meant to be new. It says the old is gone, the new has come. Make a choice, start to live out of that new self. Just because you feel the pull towards your old self doesn't mean you have to choose it. Some of you, I'm, I'm, I'm sharing this word because I know that some of you right now, you're, you're struggling in your own lives. You have maybe guilt and shame and there's things that's happening inside your world right now. Hey, it's, it's, it's not a sin to be tempted. It's just a sin to act on it. You might feel the tension towards moving in the wrong direction, but just because you feel it doesn't mean that you need to choose it. You can make a better choice today because I told you that your, your choices They can trap you or they can free you. But one thing that they always do is that they always touch other people. So here's what you've got to do. You've got to, You've got to kill every vice. You've got to kill every wrong desire. You've got to get rid of that stuff out of your life. You need to destroy it. Don't, you know, you said one day I'll address it. Today is that day. Start to deal with it right now. Maybe get accountable in some way. But you got to start to kill this stuff in your life right now. Jesus said it will hurt you. Paul said it will trap you. You know, these things, they're not good for you. So start to get rid of them out of your life so they can stop controlling your life and narrowing your future. And when you do that, that's how you know you're free. That's how you know you can experience this new life that God gives you. And that's what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. That starts to change our culture. That allows life to flourish. That's the community that I want to be part of. That's the world I want my kids to grow up in. That's the future I want for my grandkids. So here's what I want to do today really quickly. Is I just want to pray for people that say, I'm going down some paths right now that I know are narrowing my future. There's something about what you've said today that resonates with me. It's true. I'm struggling in certain areas of my life. I told you the good news. Jesus will forgive you for every wrong thing that you've ever done. If you're here and you're listening to this word today and you say, I need to address these things in my life. You don't have to necessarily turn to the person that's next to you, but you you gotta at least start here. You you, you gotta pray to God and you gotta say, God, I wanna get my life right. And I wanna operate out of my old self. I'm a new creation in Christ. I wanna start living this life the way that you made me and created me to live. I would love to pray for you. There's no judgment here today. I just want to see people living in the freedom that Christ paid for. So let let me pray for you. And and if you can, maybe it's one of these lists. Maybe it's something that I haven't mentioned today, but there's something you know you need to deal with. Why don't you just place your hand on your heart right now? Let me pray for you. Jesus, I just pray for every person that says, there's an issue in my life. I need to deal with it. I pray God that today, that they wouldn't run. They would stop living in shame and guilt. You've already paid the penalty for these sins. And I pray, God, that as they each acknowledge a challenge, maybe an addiction, but something that they're given to, that they know they're not supposed to have, I pray in Jesus' name. You'd meet them right where they're at today. And instead of feeling overwhelmed with guilt, they'd feel the love and the grace and the forgiveness of their Savior, the presence of the Spirit of God. Father, wash them right now. Set them free. Wash them clean. Lord, Your Word says that Your mercies are new every morning. Today is a good day to believe that Scripture. 
So I pray, God, that that your mercy would come fresh and new today, that they have this overwhelming sense that you're with them. Their sin is not your exit strategy, but you're walking with them right now. And I pray in Jesus' name that every chain that's bound them, everything that they feel trapped in or addicted to in Jesus' name, we pray that it would be broken spiritually. I pray right now that it would be broken in Jesus' name. And I pray, give them the courage to follow all of this up by telling someone, a small group leader, emailing a a pastor or a leader and saying, I need some help in a certain area of my life. And I pray, God, that as they do that, that you just start to set them free as they walk a new path. In Jesus' name. Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.